Over 3,000 years ago, a people group would emerge from slavery out of the grasp of the Egyptian pharaoh. They would be given a divine covenant, laws and a moral code that would uniquely set them apart from other nations around the world. These other ancient civilizations would bow down to and worship a multitude of gods, many who were supposedly at war with each other. These civilizations would create statues and temples to try to house these gods, and men would offer sacrifices and create religions to try to appease the gods. Because men and women were born slaves to these gods with no individual dignity or rights, and their sole purpose was to lighten the load of the gods. Human life held no real value or dignity, and survival of the fittest was the best that one could hope for. However, the Hebrew people would tell of a different God. In fact, that there was only one God, and that God made men and women with value and purpose and free will, and that he made men in his image and in his likeness, and that we were actually created to have relationship with him. But then sin entered the world, and we were deceived. We were told we don't need God anymore, and we would be enslaved by sin, and it would separate us from the presence and blessings of God. And the penalty was death. And a rescue plan that had been devised before the world even began would be put into effect. And God would choose and make a covenant and a promise with a family line that would become a nation, Israel. And God would protect them and bless them if they kept his laws and commandments. They would have access to the divine through judges, prophets, priests, or sometimes even angelic messengers. And they would be given divine revelations directly from God. And for a time, he would dwell amongst them in a tabernacle made to certain specifications. However, just like before, because of man's unruly hearts, they would continually break God's laws and commandments. They would look around at the other nations and ask to be led by a human king instead of God himself. But God would keep his end of the promise that through that family line, that something greater would happen, that something even better would happen, that would bless not only Israel and the Hebrew people, but all the nations of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and are in awe of your majesty. We're so grateful that before the world even began, that you created a rescue plan for us to be back to you, and that we actually get to watch it play out throughout history. We're so thankful that you preserved your word for us to study and be blessed by and to read. And not only that, that you created a way for us to draw closer to you. Lord, just help us to have hearts for you. We just ask that your Holy Spirit be present here today and that we're not distracted or deceived by the things of this world. I humbly ask that this message be used to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
good morning. Uh, my name is David Bessenbacher. Uh, you can usually find me out at the Connections booth welcoming new people into Dallas Church. Uh, also, Saturday mornings, you can find me helping facilitate a men's Bible study and discussion group. Uh, and today, I've been asked to continue us through our series in the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Probably like uh, many of you, I received my first Bible as a child, a collection of 66 books and writings that we call the Old and New Testament. And I don't know about you, but my first Bible came chaptered and versed and had study notes and concordances and maps in it. And some of you, I know, probably even got your name uh, when you were a kid printed on your Bible. And to my family, it was important that I got the King James Version of the Bible. Because with all the translations and things going on out there, who knows what they're adding to or taking away from the Bible or maybe just changing the meaning to. And I I love the King James Version. Uh, I read it. I reference it in my studies. Um, A lot of the verses that I have memorized as a child come from the King James Version. But this may come as no surprise to you. Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible in English, let alone the King James Version, nor did any other of its authors. They would have no concept of what English even was. And you're probably thinking right about now, what does that have to do with our study in the letter to the Hebrews? My point and what I would like you to think about throughout this series is what the writer to the letter of Hebrews was writing to Jews who had decided to become followers of Jesus and were probably facing persecution, ridicule, and were probably asking themselves, or at least on the verge of asking themselves, is this really worth it? Maybe it would be easier just to go back to old traditions strict adherence of the law of Moses and the, uh, the Pharisees. Maybe it would be easier going through priests and high priests and making animal sacrifices for the atonement of sins and waiting a special word from God from a prophet. See, they didn't have access to the Bible or the section we call the New Testament. And the writings they did have, they didn't call it the Old Testament. They knew it as the law and the prophets. The tradition, system, and observances to their laws were still very much in effect, and and sacrifices were still being carried out at the temple in Jerusalem. See, to them, everything wasn't about what translation or language their books or writings or letters came in. To them, it was all hinging on one single event— It all hinged on whether Jesus was who he said he was. Was he the promised Messiah that the Hebrew people had been looking for? Uh, In John 5, 46 through 47, Jesus says this, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you remember, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible that contained the instructions of how to put together and assemble the tabernacle, uh, the laws and commandments of God, the Ten Commandments are the ones that we're probably most aware of, and then had a bunch of other laws that the people were required to follow. 
But Jesus also said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What better way to attract the attention of your friends, family, those who have heard about you, and get the attention of the whole known world than to die a brutal public death that nobody comes back from and then actually come back from it three days later and start revealing yourself to people. Um, After his resurrection, Jesus did reveal himself to some of his followers, and in Luke 24, 27, it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to get his readers to understand and see is that the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, were pointing to, and the whole aim was, the fulfillment of the Messiah. And it's told right here that it's Jesus. And that through him, and that we saw also stated by him, that all these things were fulfilled. He's better than angelic messengers, better than prophets and priests and temples and tabernacles. He's better than the ongoing animal sacrifices. And that since the beginning, all these things were pointing towards Jesus and fulfilled in him as part of the rescue plan for the human race. What Abraham, Moses, and all the prophets were looking forward to and pointing to with their observances and sacrifices and festivals, is what the early readers of Hebrews and what us get to look back on and say, ah, now it all makes sense when related to the fulfillment in the Messiah. See, what was true for the early Hebrews receiving this letter was also true for the early Christ followers that were not Jewish. They had no canonized Bible or countless numbers of translations or languages, they heard of an event, maybe read or heard of an eyewitness account to a resurrection. And the reason they became interested in the old Hebrew texts was not because they wanted to become Jewish. That religion had been around for a long time. It was because they were interested in a certain Jewish person And when they started reading the Law and the Prophets, or what we call the Old Testament, Jesus poured off the pages. And the fulfillment of those texts made Jew and Gentile one in Messiah through Jesus. The rescue plan for mankind to have relationship with God once again was now complete. As we read this short but very powerful section out of Hebrews. I want you to take note of the Old Testament references to the temple and the most holy places, the high priest, the reference to Ezekiel about the true heart and the washing. Think about what it must have meant to the first or early readers, the implications of Jesus and their Jewish heritage, maybe what they thought they were being asked to walk away from. And not that the law's observances and sacrifices were bad. They were just incomplete. But now that Jesus himself was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest, the perfect mouthpiece of God, when something is complete, 
It's done. It's finished. There was nothing truly for them to go back to that wasn't fulfilled in Jesus. It was now time for them to observe him, to look to him, to put their faith in him. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan and prophecy from the beginning, not just to the Hebrew people, but remember, to the whole world. If you have your uh, Bible or study book for Hebrews, go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You and I were truly blessed. The fact that we're even in this room together is a miracle in itself. Think of all the thin threads that have gotten you here today going back to the beginning of mankind. Wars that happened, natural disaster, diseases, the chance that your parents or your grandparents even ever met. And maybe somewhere down the line, a mistake even happened. All of it led up to you being here today. The Old Testament keeps a genealogy of Adam all the way to Jesus, And most of us probably can't even name all of our grandparents. But nonetheless, you are unique. And there's one thing that we do have in common with all of our ancestors from the beginning of time. We've sinned. We've done things our way instead of God's way. We've put hope in things or maybe religions that could never bridge the gap between us and God. But... 2,000 years ago, an event happened. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, being fully man and fully God, lived a perfect, sinless life, and not only followed but fulfilled all the laws and commandments of God that I or you could never live up to. Jesus became the sacrifice for sin and was put to death on a cross. And the reason his early followers didn't just hide away or turn back and follow the old Jewish traditions was that three days later, he rose from the grave and started showing himself to them. In 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8, Paul says, He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive. That was back then, not now. (laughs) Though (laughs) some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul, not me. The reason that the message of Jesus spread so fast and that we still talk about it today 
wasn't because the apostles wanted to start a new religion. They still considered themselves Jews. It's because they saw Jesus die a brutal death and come back to life three days later. And eyewitnesses wrote it down. We call it the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason many of us are Christians today is because we heard about that event. And because at some point in our lives, we realized that we couldn't do it on our own. And that we couldn't focus on traditions or religious platitudes. A friend of mine once said that the church they grew up in, the guilt they felt from not being able to measure, measure up took a toll on them daily. And that if what Jesus was really offering, the freedom that the, the Bible talked about, that it would be a tremendous weight lifted off their shoulders. Just as the author of Hebrews is letting them know that going back to old traditions and ways are no longer necessary, the same is true for us. Jesus is superior, and he covered all our sins by his sacrifice on the cross. And all of our hope is to be placed in him. He is superior to anything we could offer on our own accord. With all this in mind, I want us to look back on our passage in uh, Hebrews 10.22, where it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Uh, maybe like many of you, like me, like many of you, have had an insurance salesperson uh, come out to your house or invite you out to their office, and they run through a scenario that in the event of an untimely death, car accident, disability, some unforeseeable event, that if you pay a premium monthly or yearly into a policy, that when that event happens, that you or your family will be taken care of. And we have to make the decision, do we um, just save a little bit of money now and start saving for that emergency or just think it won't happen? Or do we take the policy and when that emergency does arise, uh, we're covered. We have to make the decision, what's the smarter choice? And unfortunately, I've seen too many people treat religion this way. They either go through life thinking they can do whatever they want, live however they want, or somehow that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds. And they think either nothing will happen, or they'll just deal with it when it do does come. No insurance, or maybe a self insurance. Or they take the other path. They p think they paid their religious dues their, or premiums. They followed some formula or system. Maybe they joined a religious organization. Maybe they go to church weekly, go to church on a certain day, dress a certain way, tithe a certain way, eat a certain way, pray a certain way, get baptized a certain way, talk a certain way, read a particular version or translation of the Bible Maybe they have their own lost or book that we've never even heard of. And the list can go on and on and on. And many people will try to follow most or all of these laws. And just like our ancient Israelite friends, they have a whole religious system that is either incomplete or altogether just man-made. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were questioning him in Mark 7, 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. A friend of mine, when we were talking about Jesus and the Bible, 
he said, I'm good. I got my Jesus insurance. I said the prayer. And the problem I've seen is people will follow these religious systems or formula for a time, even years, or maybe even a lifetime. And they think they built up some kind of balance or position with God. And because they've done all these things for God, that he owes them something. And when they need him, when that calamity or emergency comes in their life, and they make a claim for their holy benefits, and God doesn't pay up in the way that they think he should, they get angry. Maybe they stop believing. Or maybe they try a different formula, or maybe they didn't do the formula the right way, so they just go out and try, try and try and try again. Where insurance covers an event that might happen, assurance covers an event that will happen. Well, what are we so assured of in our faith? What event is going to happen? Well, one that you and I have an appointment for. If you remember the the passage from last week, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Don't show up to that uh, appointment with some self-proclaimed or religious merits because it can never be enough to cover the sin penalty and the penalty is death. So here's our assurance that the sin penalty is actually covered on our behalf. That from the beginning, a sacrifice was being prepared through Jesus. Here's how Paul described it in his letter to the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that's the good news that we're trying to spread. Not the way we do church, not the way we take communion, not what translation of the Bible we read, or even how we do our worship music. Jesus is the confession and the hope that we hold fast to, who we point to, and why we stir each other up to love and good works and to serve. Not because we have to, but because we are so thankful for the love, mercy, and sacrifice that Jesus gave us on his behalf, that he took that sin penalty of death and freed us and connected us back to relationship with the Father. Maybe you're new to to following Jesus or have been following him for a little while now. Maybe you've faced your fair share of ridicule from people who don't think you're doing things a certain way, (coughs) way or the right way, Or maybe they criticize you for your faith in Jesus alone. Maybe you've been on the verge of asking yourself, is this really worth it? What the writer of Hebrews wants readers to understand is that Jesus is superior in every way. He's better in every way. And all of our focus should be on him. That now we have the confidence and boldness to enter in to the holy place because what Jesus did on our behalf. And as we understand more and believe more about him, 
We're no longer bound by the law, but freed from it. He's cleansed us, and he is worth it. If I had to sum up uh, today with one takeaway statement, it would be this. With confidence and without a doubt, Jesus, not just a better way, the only way. With confidence and without a doubt, Jesus, not just a better way, the only way. Maybe you knew that, but just needed a reminder of it. With so much information coming at us and people telling us <clears throat> how we should do things what, and what we should believe, maybe you just need to write that down. Jesus is the only way. Or maybe you need to say it out loud. Jesus is the only way. What if we truly let go of the old things that never really served us or God anyway? What if we believed a little bit more? What if we operated from a standpoint of loving more, giving more, serving more, not because we had to, but because we truly focused in on the life of Jesus and modeled it daily? What if we lived like he was the only way? And what if we boldly and confidently lived as if he was coming back today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the confidence we have through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that before the world was even created, that you created that rescue plan for us to come back to you. We're so thankful for all that you do. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, we just ask that they feel that prompting from your Holy Spirit and take the next step. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.